doxology of late. Beautiful, beautiful words. Well, um, we are heading to Australia tomorrow. I I noticed on the um, long-range forecast that you will be, I think, Thursday or so. It's 98 degrees. We'll be at about 60 degrees. It is winter in Australia, which will keep nine of the ten most poisonous snakes in the world in their hiding places, hopefully. (laughs) Unfortunately, the funnel-web spiders with quarter-inch fangs are still out. Just kidding. It ain't like we're going to the jungles, I don't think, anyway. Uh, We're looking forward to that trip. Wow, that was an awesome time last night at the Money Pennies. I, I, um, I, if you missed it, I just let me encourage you next year to get there. A lot of years it seems like I've had to miss it, but I'm always glad when I can get there. And thanks so much to the Money Pennies and Sharon and Ceres for providing the fireworks and the and the uh, all you can eat uh, Sunny Skies ice cream. Um, it was embarrassing when Max Callahan ate the cold sweat. And uh, no, just kidding. He didn't. <laughs> that did not happen. That would have been interesting, though. Well, I, I can't tell you how glad I am of this day and what it represents for our country. I can't tell you how proud I am to be an American citizen. July 4th is an important day for all of us. Here And it's an important day for people all over the world, whether they recognize it or not. The Lord has blessed us considerably by placing us in here. And I know it is fashionable these days to criticize and even to denigrate our country, ruining our excesses and our privileges. We have so much and others have so little. And, and look at the way we waste our money and, 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 of course, there's some truth to some of that. I mean, there is, there, is, there, there is truth that we're not as good as stewards as we should be with what we've been given. But I, I'm just not one of those people who is going to run America down, nor would I expect there to be any here. I, I love America, and I know that you do as well on this July 4th day of celebration. And as was prayed during the prayer time, if you couldn't hear it in the back... May we keep on celebrating. I think it was, uh, was that uh, Grayson who was praying this? May we keep on celebrating. I I hope that's true for a long time to come. I'm afraid, though, that we have come to take our privileges and our blessings for granted, and thus we are in danger. We're going to talk about a gospel cycle that is seen over and over in Scripture, and it's seen over and over in our lives. Talk about that in a little bit. But there's also a, a cycle in history of countries that, that rise from nothing and become great and then they just cycle out of power. And one of the reasons is because they begin to take everything for granted and they just collapse inwardly. <clears throat> I love this country, but I love the kingdom of God more. The United States of America is a wonderful, wonderful place to live, and it is without question, it has been without question, blessed by God. The kingdom of God is the only kingdom 
that is going to last. And frankly, the one that deserves our first and our primary attention. There's a difference between these two kingdoms. This kingdom, that, this wonderful, blessed kingdom known as America and the kingdom of God. And some people seem unaware that there's a difference between the United States of America and the kingdom of God. <clears throat> We're not the first to make this mistake. The nation of Israel thought that it represented the kingdom of God. And the Israelites took, took for granted the privileges that they had been given <clears throat> uh, as a result of God's specific blessing on their nation. Now, now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that America has placed, replaced Israel. We have never had the same kind of relationship with God that the nation of Israel had. But we are in many ways following certain patterns that they followed. <clears throat> The gospel is what gave the nation of Israel such trouble. God had given the law of Moses to the nation of Israel in order to point them to, him, to himself. There's at least a fourfold purpose for the law. We've reviewed this several times in the last year or two, but it's, it, it's important to understand because this whole book of Romans is about law and gospel, law and gospel. And even though this was a law that was given to the nation of Israel, there are, again, many similarities in the way that Americans relate to God with the way the Israelites related to God. First of all, uh, the law was intended to reveal God's righteousness. Secondly, it was intended to reveal man's unrighteousness. It was given to show us how far short we fall of God. Third, it pointed to Jesus. It pointed to Jesus through the sacrificial system that the Israelites were required to observe to ensure their right standing with God. The book of Hebrews tells Jewish Christ followers who were thinking, maybe we made a mistake following Jesus as the Messiah. The, the, the author of the book of Hebrews says, look, we all knew that it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. The Israelites should have seen, as John the Baptist did, that Jesus was the Lamb of God and the fulfillment, the culmination of the law. It all pointed to Him. The fourth purpose of the law of Moses was, as it is, the laws everywhere in the world intended to restrain unrighteous behavior by establishing consequences for, for, for behavior that, that dishonored God or, or, and or uh, hurt and harmed other people. Somehow the Israelites began to think of the law as a measuring stick. And they began to think that if I can do better following this law than other people, then I will make myself acceptable to God. They thought of it as a way to create or establish their own righteousness rather than seeing God's righteousness. And they, they, they became far more concerned about them than they did God. Rather than crying out to God for mercy as we stand before a holy and righteous God, many people who, who follow the law and follow the law today um, think that they can become acceptable to God by good works. They missed the whole point of the law. They missed, in fact... The gospel, 
One of the things that's going to be amazing as we read through the book of, I mean, the, the 10th chapter of Romans in just a few moments, where it talks about crying out to the Lord, believing on Christ, and, and the gospel of, of, of Jesus coming front and center right in Romans 10. Verse after verse after verse after verse after verse coming from Deuteronomy and Isaiah and Joel. It's the Old Testament. The gospel was all the way through the Old Testament. And yet, the Israelites missed the fact that God has made a way for men and women to be made right with Him. And it's not by keeping the law. Because you can never be good enough. As we'll read in just a moment, Moses said, The person who lives by the law or, or follows the law must live by it. In other words, you've got to keep it all the way. If the law is going to be your measuring stick, there's one standard, and that's perfection. If you don't reach it, you're not going to make it. <clears throat> Even though the United States is far different from <clears throat> Israel with regard to a special relationship to the Lord, there are definite parallels between the people of Israel, God's holy and chosen people, and the people of the church, God's holy and chosen people. And especially parallels between the church and America. We have made the same mistake as Israel in thinking that by following certain religious rituals and practices, then we're okay with God. In fact, a lot of people think, just because I'm born here, I'm okay with God. Are you a Christian? Well, yeah, I'm American, aren't I? Come on. Of course I'm a Christian. We're Christian here. Arab countries are Muslim. India, Hindu, Asia, Buddhism, but America, Christian. I'm a Christian, and I'm okay because I live here. Just like the Jews thought that they were okay with God because of their race. <clears throat> One of the points that Paul makes throughout Romans is that a full understanding and acceptance of the gospel is required by the Jews in order to be made right with God. And it's just as necessary for the Jews as it is for the Gentiles. He's saying this, you'll see that again, over and over in Romans 10. And it's been all the way through. <clears throat> we might say something quite similar today, that a full understanding and acceptance of the gospel is just as necessary for church-going Americans as it is for Muslims and Hindus. And if you've been here any length of time, you've heard all of this before. But that's okay. If you were reading through Scripture and you came to Romans, this, this very thorough and detailed explanation of the gospel, you would have to say, well, I've heard all of this before. It's all the way from Genesis up. It's all through Scripture. And it is, in fact, the reason for this lengthy introduction, so that, so that we'll recognize the absolute necessity and, the, and how absolute the gospel message is in Scripture. Salvation is through faith in Jesus, not of works. Before we read the text, let's look at our gospel definition. And I hope every time we do this, it's... it's making more and more sense as we go through Romans and we look at other texts in Scripture as well. The just and gracious God of the universe in response to hopelessly sinful people. Most people never get past that because they don't consider themselves hopelessly sinful. 
But in response to hopelessly sinful people, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to live the life that we can't, to bear His wrath against sin on the cross, and to show His power over sin and the resurrection so that all who respond to the Holy Spirit's call to repent and believe in Jesus will be reconciled to God forever. Well, we're going to read through uh, the 10th chapter of Romans rather deliberately, and I'm going to make a comment here or there. So if you, if you will, remain seated this morning. We normally stand for the reading of the Scripture. But after we get through reading it, we're going to spend the bulk of our time thinking about how the gospel is advanced. There's a lot about that in Romans chapter 10. <clears throat> Again, I think you're going to be struck by the number of Old Testament quotes or allusions uh, to Old Testament passages while Paul was laying out the gospel. Beginning in verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, for Israel, is that they may be saved. <clears throat> for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. <clears throat> for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, does that word end, does it mean culmination? Or does it mean that the law is no longer a point of consideration? Really, it has a little bit of both. The law is culminated in Christ. It all pointed to Jesus. It's also the way, it's, it's at, at an end now as far as people relating to God. We don't make the sacrificial systems. Do, do, does the moral law still apply to us? Of course. Of course, at a higher level than it was written in the Old Testament. Jesus said, not only can you not murder somebody, you can't hate them. Not only do you not commit adultery, you don't lust after men or women in your heart. It's a much higher standard now. But as far as relating to God, it's what makes us right with God. It's not the law any longer. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. You cannot obtain it through the law to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Basically, what he's just saying here is it's simple. It's not complicated. The Lord makes it very plain to us. And the Lord is very near you through his word. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Justified, say this is almost like Old Testament uh, poetry, parallelism. He's basically saying the same thing in a different, different way. 
when we believe and when we confess, we are justified or saved. Justified and saved meaning the same thing. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Old Testament after Old Testament verse. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. And then from Joel, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, Joel spoke about Yahweh. Paul refers to Jesus. Almost any time you see God is referred to as the Lord in the New Testament, he's talking about Jesus. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call in him? Uh, call on him in whom they have not believed. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world, Psalm 19.4. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With the foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who... Who did not ask for me. But of Israel he says. All day long I have held out my hands. To a disobedient. And contrary. People. Let's pray. Father. We thank you for this. Good news. That Jesus died. To save us. From your wrath. And not only to save us from your wrath, but Lord, he rose that we might one day live with you. Sin being completely gone. And Father, this morning as we considered these words that were written almost 2,000 years ago, we know that they ring true and that they were in your heart long before the foundation of the world. Lord, I pray that we might be encouraged, excited, motivated to share the gospel with those who don't know Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, last week we were struck by the abrupt change from, from Romans chapter 8 to Romans chapter 9. I mean, Paul ends Romans 8 talking about the love of God and the love of Christ. Nothing can separate us from death, life, nothing can separate us. And then he immediately goes into saying, but if it could happen, I would spend eternity in hell separated from Christ if it would mean that my, my Jewish brothers and sisters could spend eternity with God if they would only see that Jesus is the Messiah. If God would allow it, I would do it. This week, 
the change from Romans 9 to Romans 10 is no less abrupt and dramatic, but it's, it is so for, for different reasons. You'll recall last week that God said unequivocally, he is the one who calls us, elects us, if you will. He has an election and he says, I elect you, you, you for salvation. But then Paul immediately turns right around in Romans 10 and begins praying, pouring out his God, his heart to God, please save them, save them. why would Paul pray for anyone when God is the one who decides who will be saved? Well, let's look at this same truth from another angle. What can you do about saving someone? What can you do ultimately? Nothing. Can God? Absolutely. He is the one who saves. And why wouldn't we pray to him? Lord, please save This person. Nowhere in Scripture are we called to live a fatalistic life. Well, I guess I can witness. I guess I could pray. But really, what difference does it make? God's going to save anybody he wants to. I don't know how all of this works. I can't explain it. But I do know this. God has chosen a specific way for his plan to unfold. And one of the ways that people come to Jesus is that we pray for him. We love him enough to pray for him and to say, Lord, please, please bring my loved one, to Jesus. And we are called to go and and witness and share this good news. So let me ask you, who are you praying for that is lost? Is there anybody you're praying for? Maybe you're praying for a relative who is living for him or herself. But, But when we look at Romans 10... It's not just those who are living in, in, in very obvious, evident sin and, 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 and have a very loose lifestyle. It could be that the Lord needs to call us to pray for our neighbors who are very fine, upstanding church members. Is this a self-righteous statement? Absolutely not. It's just a statement about the gospel that we've been reading this morning. Far too many of our American church members have fallen into a moralistic plan for relating to God in the same way that Israel related to God. I know these first graders are eating this up. They are for all practical purposes, following the law for salvation. But Christ is the end of the law for everyone who believes for righteousness for everyone believes. The gospel message is that it's not about behavior, but it's about belief, which in turn radically affects our behavior. All of this talk about it's, it's grace, not works, doesn't mean that, that we're saved by grace and then we can live any way we want to. No, if, if the Lord calls us and we get it, it's going to radically, if we get it in our minds and if the Holy Spirit is living in us, it's radically going to impact the way that we live. We've seen this gospel cycle of ruin, redemption, and relationship repeatedly in Romans, but a lot of people have it backwards. They, they think if I can relate to God through my good works, then I will find redemption and avoid ruin. And in fact, it, that leads to ruin. We have to recognize our state of ruin before we can ever be redeemed, and we have nothing to do With our redemption, we're just crying out to Jesus who brings us to himself. The gospel message 
made so plain in all of Romans is summarized by Paul in verses 9, 10, and 13. Salvation must affect the heart enough to energize one's voice of confession. To be willing to tell others, not only just that I've been saved, but what it is you believe about Jesus. I believe that he's the only way to heaven. And that without him, all of us are doomed. But I confess Jesus as my Lord. Jesus is Lord. Acts 4.12 says it this way. There is, no, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Do you believe that? Do you really? I'm not sure that C.S. Lewis did. He may have believed according to the way the lion, I mean the, um, the Chronicles of Narnia end, that last battle, that some people call out the name of the Lord, but they use another name. Do you believe Acts 4, 12? There is no other way except through Jesus. We don't all worship the same God. We don't all end up in heaven. When people say that to you, don't we all worship the same God? Say, well, let me ask you this. Do you worship Jesus as Lord as the only way of salvation? And if they say no, then no, we don't worship the same God. Not according to Scripture. And there's too much of it. You can't massage it and make it say something else. It's just there over and over. Jesus is the only way to the Father. So what does that mean to us? In spite of how it sounds, this is what it means. We're the only ones who know that. And everything rides on it. Eternity rides on it for everybody. So we have to tell that message. We have to. But we don't like this or any responsibility. That's a pretty heavy burden, isn't it? Real, Will Rogers said there are two passings in America, the passing of the buffalo and the passing of the buck. Well, let the missionaries spread the good news about Jesus. All Americans know Jesus anyway. Not so. Look at what Isaiah said about Israel in verse 16 of Romans 10. Not all have believed when I told them about you. Isaiah wasn't talking about Assyrians or Babylonians. He was talking about Israelites. He said, not everybody's believed what we've told them about you. We learned last week that, <clears throat> that, that, that not all who belong to Israel by birth in reality are the true Israel of God. That point was made very clear in Romans 9. Just because you're a Jew doesn't mean that you are part of the true Israel of God. In the same way, we could say that just because you belong to the church doesn't mean you belong to the, the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. So as we back up and consider verses 14 and 15, recognize that there are those all around us in America, in church in fact, and even, believe it or not, in Grace Community Church, 
who have not understood and accepted the gospel. Remember, verse 13 states that one must call on Jesus in order to be saved. How, Paul asks in verse 14, can one call on someone in whom they have not believed? How can you? I haven't believed in this person. How can I call on him to save me? Now, this belief of which Paul speaks is an absolute commitment of your life to Jesus. And so you're not going to call on somebody you haven't been willing to say, I'm going to commit my life at that level. If someone thinks of Jesus as a kind of an American icon, it's, it's sort of patriotic to sing about Jesus. But he's often sung in the same breath as chugging beer and chasing women. And, you know, it's like... Jesus, Budweiser, and apple pie. I'm American as they come. I mean, that's, that's kind of the way it is. Is it not? They don't know this Jesus. I mean, just because you know the name doesn't mean you know who he is. And it certainly doesn't mean that you know him. And that's a problem because how can you possibly believe unless someone has explained the gospel to you. Furthermore, how can there be a preacher unless someone sends the preacher? Now, we've been talking about, so far this morning, about how that there are people all around us who don't know the gospel. Good church people who know the Bible, but they don't know the gospel. Did Israel know the Bible? You better believe it. But they didn't know the gospel. Now, let's think about Countries where the name of Jesus is rarely heard, certainly not in the context of which we're reading today. It's true that many in our country don't understand the gospel of Jesus, but it's far more prevalent in lands where other gods are worshipped or where the truth of the gospel seems to have moved on a long time ago, such as in Europe. You heard a couple of weeks ago in that video, I think, Sophie, uh, Cotton, who was in Spain with her parents, saying, you know, I, I talk to people and they say, I, I say, what's your religion? And they say, I'm Catholic. Do you believe in God? Oh, no, I don't believe in God. I don't get that, Sophie said, and I sort of agree with her. Um, but if you are in a place where you've never heard of Jesus or you know very, very little about him, you need to hear. Now, now let's think for just a moment. Does this passage, is this passage saying to us that if people are going to be saved, they must hear about Jesus? I mean, verse 13 tells us that salvation is open to everyone. It's the oddest thing, this Christianity, isn't it? To say that we're the only ones who know the truth. You've you got to believe that. You've got to accept that. And it's not easy to accept in our society today. Pluralistic as it is, where your religion's as good as mine, let's just all get along, coexist. You see all over the place. On the one hand, we're the only ones who know. On the other hand, anybody is welcome. Anybody. Just call out to the, to the Lord. He will save you. Verses 14 and 15, though, clarify this. To say that people must Hear the gospel in order to call out to the Lord, in order to be saved. Well, what about those who have never heard? Couldn't God come to them in a dream and tell them about Jesus? Yes, he could. 
In fact, we have many reports of people being prepared to hear the gospel by dreams. Missionaries come in and they say, yes, I dreamed about this man. But it is always, always, always accompanied with the missionary who shares the gospel. I had this dream and I didn't know what it means. Now it makes perfect sense. We have quite a responsibility, don't we? God will save who he will, whom he will. And if we don't share the gospel with them, they won't be saved. Stop right there because that's where Scripture stops. Don't add to it, but don't worry. Scripture doesn't go on to say, but but don't worry. If they don't get saved because you didn't share the gospel with them, obviously God didn't intend for them to get saved. Scripture doesn't say that. It just says, I elect and you tell the gospel, otherwise they can't be saved. If they don't hear, they can't call on him. You have a responsibility to go to the world and tell them this good news. If the gospel is going to be advanced, it is your responsibility to share it. That's it. That's it. We're going to stop for just a moment, in just a moment, and let these verses seek in. And as you meditate on these verses, think about the people in your neighborhood, in your family, at your place of business that don't know Jesus. They may be engaged in very fleshly and worldly activity, and they may say crazy things like, I want to go to hell because that's where all my friends are going to be. Or they may be the absolute most respected people in the community who attend church every single Sunday and live a very moral lifestyle. But they may have never heard about this Jesus that we're talking about, this gospel that is made so crystal clear in God's Word. You are responsible to share Jesus with them. Let's let's meditate on that for just a moment. Just read those verses in your heart. Ask the Lord to, to burn them in your heart. Okay, Romans ten seventeen, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. We must believe the gospel, and we must hear it in order to believe it. We've learned in our study of Scripture that when, when the New Testament talks about hearing God's word, it means hearing it with the intent of obeying. In this case, believing the gospel. That kind of hearing comes only from the word of Christ, both the spoken word of Jesus and the words of Scripture that tell us about him. So it's not my words that save people. It's the word of Christ. 
it's not necessary that I be incredibly creative in sharing the gospel. It's helpful. I mean, look at Jesus. Look at the different ways that Jesus communicated the gospel to his hearers. He used illustrations that, 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 that hit home on an everyday uh, living, every, in everyday living to, to the people that, with whom he communicated. We don't have to be clever, but we do have to share God's Word. Actually, we don't even have to be successful with regard to numbers who trust Jesus. First Corinthians tells us that some sow, some, some water, but God is the one who gives the increase. You have no idea how you've impa- impacted. You, you may have played a part. You know, I, I may have actually been able to lead 10 people to Jesus by saying, okay, will you pray with me? And you may have impacted hundreds But just a little word here, and you may feel like I'm a complete failure. Look, sharing the gospel is successful evangelism. Not winning people to Jesus. It's sharing the gospel that we're called to do. And you know what? At that point, God takes care of the rest. It is entirely up to him. It is not up to you. Well, one of the ways that we share the gospel is by our public participation at the Lord's table. We're going to do that in just a moment. But as we were reading Romans 10, 9 and 10 a while ago, I thought, as we've done here several times, and we've done it not too terribly long in the past, I think, and it was someone else who led us in this, Sean maybe or David, I can't remember. Let's take just a moment and confess that Jesus is Lord. Myra, if you can find Romans 10, uh, 9 and 10 again. And, and let's just look at those uh, verses. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the, mouth, with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I have no doubt men and women were saved in my mom's Sunday school class at the Methodist Church as they said, I confess Jesus is Lord. Could be this morning that you don't know Jesus. And this is your time. Whether you have been a Christian almost all of your life or whether it's happened in the last couple of years or whether this is the day that you're going to say it. Let's take a little time and do that. And then Mike and the elders will come lead us in communion. So... I will begin, and, and, and let me ask you this. When you say this, would you rise and say it? You, a whole bunch of people may say it at once, or it may be just one at a time for just a few minutes. But do it like this, something along these lines. I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. You don't have to do that. But just say, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Will you do that? Will you confess with me? Father, we are overwhelmed with the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. And we know we don't deserve him. We know that you have reached down and snatched us from the brink of destruction. You have given us understanding. You have given us a heart that cries out. The faith to believe that Jesus is the Christ.
And we do confess him as our Lord and Savior. And as Mike leads us to the table in communion, may our hearts rise to commune and participate as 1 Corinthians 10 tells us. And we have no idea what it means, but we participate this morning in the the body and blood of Jesus. Lord Jesus, may your presence be strong and real as we come to your table. Amen.